This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, we want to talk on the healing ministry of Jesus. And this is the story of the uh, centurion that Jesus recognized for his, the uh, greatness of his faith. Beginning in verse 5, it says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. Now, the, the centurion is a Roman soldier with a hundred troops under him. So there came unto him the centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. There's a, um, in the original language, the original Greek, it literally says, having come, I will heal him. Having come, I will heal him. It appears that in the original text, Jesus is saying, because I've come to the earth, healing is available. It belongs to him specifically, but not just to him exclusively. Talking about the centurion. So he said, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Now, there's a lot of things we could talk about there. Certainly Jesus is, uh, when he marvels because of the greatness of the man's faith, he identifies that this is the kind of faith that he should have found in Israel. Because the exercise of faith, the necessity of faith and the exercise thereof is not a new concept. It doesn't begin when Jesus comes to the earth. The children of Israel were supposed to operate by faith and were taught by God through the law of Moses to operate by faith in everything that they did. You remember when they came to the promised land and Israel, the first time I mean, and Israel believed the majority report, the 10 spies that came back with an evil report, the scripture says, God said at that point in time, as you have spoken in my ear, so shall I do unto you. See, the idea of believing with your heart and confessing with the mouth has always been God's plan. God created the earth, the Bible says, through faith we understand that the worlds were created. Everything about the, uh, the creation account in Genesis is God speaking, and whatever he says comes to pass. And when the fact of the Bible, the fact that the Bible tells us in Genesis 126 that man was created to have authority here on the earth. Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the earth and over all the works of our hands. That tells us that we were made in God's class of being who created the world by faith. So you create your world by faith too. Your words count. You'll have what you say. So the centurion comes to Jesus, and Jesus marvels because he's got the kind of faith that God would have hoped to find, Jesus would have hoped to have found among the Jews, but do, could never find it. He just couldn't find it. There was nobody, virtually nobody, I guess, 
that was operating in the kind of faith that the Bible had been given. The Old Testament, the law and the prophets had been given to Israel to understand and so that they could operate in the kind of faith that God does. But this man was different. He says the children of the kingdom will be left out, meaning those that are trying to make their way to God through the law, as Israel was trying to do in those days and still tries to do to some degree today. He said, but there'll be a lot of people that will come from the east and the west. He's talking about the Gentile world. A lot of people will come from the east and west and take hold of the blessings of Abraham in heaven. And so Jesus says, go your way, and as you have believed, so be it done unto you. Now, how do we know what he believed? Because of what he said. You can always identify faith by the confession that it gives. And this man said, speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. But he tells us what, in my opinion, is the most important part of this, and that is how he came to the place for Jesus to marvel because of his faith. He understood authority. He said, I'm a man under authority. In other words, he's saying, he gives examples. When I tell somebody to come, they come. When I tell those that are under me to go, they go. And when I tell my servants to do something, they do it. He understood that authority made your words powerful. He understood that the exercise of authority was through the speaking of the word. In his case, his word to his centurion, to the uh, soldiers under him, rather. But when it comes to sickness and disease, Jesus' word. Now, what's changed? What's changed between us and the things that we read in this example? Something has changed. But what is it? Is the method of receiving healing changed? Well, the Bible tells us that almost three-fourths of the people that Jesus ministered to, the individuals that Jesus ministered healing to, were healed on their own faith. So that part hadn't changed. Jesus told us through his disciples to do the same work. Those that believe in my name will do the same works that I do and greater works shall he do because I go into my father, Jesus said. So if we're going to do the same works, it seems, stands to reason, seems obvious that we'll do it in the same way that he did. And it took faith on the part of the, believer, of the receivers, the sick people, in order to receive their healing, which tells us God doesn't force anything on anybody. So we know sickness and disease hasn't changed. We know that the centurion's part hasn't changed, representing us or representing any of that will believe. Faith is still required of us. The operation of faith or the manner that faith operates hadn't changed. So what's changed? One thing that's changed in this story is Jesus. The only thing that's changed in this story is Jesus. Now, how, how was it that the centurion was able to accurately identify Jesus' authority over sickness and disease? How did that happen? Or maybe a better way to ask that is, how did Jesus have authority over sickness and disease to begin with? This man has heard enough about Jesus to identify that he has authority. He must have authority over sickness and disease or else he couldn't do the things that he did. Nicodemus pretty much said the same thing in John chapter 3 when he came in under darkness, under cover of darkness. He said, no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. In other words, they recognized that the miraculous work of Jesus' ministry, which included healing to a great degree, they weren't the only miracles that he performed, but there were more miracles about, uh, regarding healing than any other area or any other thing that he did. So if those healing miracles and those healing works were a part of Jesus' time here on the earth, 
How did they come about? How did Jesus have authority over sickness and disease? Well, we're going to have to go back and understand a little bit about how Jesus came to the earth and what happened once he got here. As we said before, Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let them have authority or dominion here in the earth. Another place said that man was created to have dominion over all the works of God's hands. So God put man in charge. Man had authority on the earth. I think it's important, and I know I say this a lot, but it's important for people to recognize it. And I'm not sure everybody gets it the first time they hear it. But it's important to recognize that God never changes. That means his will never changes. That means his purpose never changes. That means he is steady and he is constant from the beginning to the end. So if his original intent was for man to have authority on the earth, man has authority on the earth. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven to say that for you, you are free from the influence of sickness and disease. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So Jesus came to the earth the Bible says, as a man, and because he was born as a man, that's why the virgin birth is so important. Romans 5.12 says, wherefore, by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. If Jesus had not been born of a virgin, then he would have been subject to the law of sin and death that all of mankind has been born unto. It would have affected him. It would have created the same dilemma for Jesus that it creates for us. We're born into a sinful world. Our flesh is subject to the law of sin and death to a certain degree. The temptation of sin, the, the uh, operation of death because of our previous experience with it through the flesh prior to when we get born again creates a problem for us daily. But not for Jesus. Jesus didn't have a sinful background. He, was not brought, uh, he did not enter into, he was not born into any sin of the flesh whatsoever. That's why the virgin birth is so important. He was not born of man. He was born of a woman who was impregnated by the Holy Ghost. So Jesus bypassed the fleshly experience with the law of sin and death. See, if Jesus had been subject to the law of sin and death at any point in time, he could not have been a worthy sacrifice for mankind. He had to be pure, had to be spotless. When nobody that's born into this world under the law of sin and death, whichever human is, with the exception of Jesus, we're born into a sinful condition. Jesus wasn't. That's why he could be a pure and holy sacrifice. Another thing is, we know that Jesus, by virtue of the fact that he avoided contact with or dominion of the law of sin and death, that would make Jesus a righteous individual. Now, what did righteousness provide for Jesus here on the earth? 
It provided him dominion and authority over sickness and disease and over every evil work, over every evil influence that the devil has and operates with in this world for him. But being righteous, being the righteousness of God, or we can say it this way, being the son of God born into the earth, did not give Jesus power and authority to exercise dominion over other people's sickness and disease. Turn with me to John chapter 2. I want you to see something. I pray that I can make this clear because when you see it, it'll make a big change. Now we know that the Bible tells us that Jesus went to be baptized by John in the Jordan River, right? Before he started his earthly ministry, he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And the Bible tells us that everybody there saw the Spirit of God descend from heaven and land on him like a bird would fly out of the sky. The way the King James translation says, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And it remained there. It stayed there on him. And then Jesus went out into the wilderness. He was out there for 40 days, separating himself from all contact for the purpose of preparing for the ministry God had for him. And at the end of those 40 days, or toward the end of those 40 days, it says Satan came and tempted him. The three temptations again turned the stones into bread. Jesus said, Thou man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan took him to the pinnacle of the temple. He said, Cast yourself down. For even the Bible says, Psalm 34 says, The angels shall bear you up in their wings, lest you dash your foot upon a stone. And Jesus responds with the word again. The word also says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then the third one we just talked about was when he showed him the kingdoms of the world and said, I'll give you all this glory and honor and whatever. And Jesus said, Thou shalt worship God, and him only shalt thou serve. So the devil left him for a period of time. Now Luke chapter 4 verse 14 tells us that Jesus, after the, following the temptation of the devil, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. I want you to understand something, folks. Jesus didn't have the power of the Spirit before then. The Bible says very specifically in Philippians 2 that he laid aside his heavenly kingdom or his heavenly glory, power and glory. He did not bring that to the earth with him. In that sense and in that context, in order for Jesus to be a worthy sacrifice for mankind, he's got to be all man. He can't be operating on the earth as the son of God. Now there are five times in the over 65 times that the Bible refers to Jesus or him referring to himself, 60 of those 65 is where he's referred to as the son of man. The human side of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. Five times he's referred to as the son of God. Three of those five, Jesus refers to himself as the son of God, but that was in one setting. And the only time he ever used the Son of God, the phrase the Son of God rather than the Son of Man, was when he was trying to identify for his disciples, for his followers, where he came from. Otherwise, he always called himself the Son of Man. But when the power of the Spirit is made evident upon Jesus, then Jesus comes back into Galilee and he starts performing miracles. Now, John chapter 2 is the first miracle that he performed. Look with me. To John chapter 2, we'll start reading the story. Verse 1, and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. Now let me back up a little bit to verse 2. Notice Jesus already had disciples before he ever made any or did anything miraculous. Jesus had disciples 
We don't know if he had all 12 yet. But he had disciples that were following him because of the teaching and the preaching that he did, which has been very minimal up to this point because after, at the end of this story, John's going to say this is the first miracle Jesus did. But there was something about Jesus that captured the attention of these disciples and made them willing, at the very least, to follow him. There was something about his knowledge. There was something about the way that he described the kingdom of God or the things of God or his purpose or whatever. I, I don't really know. I don't know how to properly categorize that. But he did have miracles before the first, or he did have disciples before the first miracle. So, again, verse 3, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Now notice Jesus' response in verse 4. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Then his mother said unto the servants, she made a statement to the servants that's mind-boggling. Unless you understand how Jesus was operating on the earth. Jesus says to his mother, Mom, you can't just direct these things. He's saying to the mother, I'm not sent here to do this kind of stuff. But she turns to the servants and says, Whatever he says to you, do it. Why would his mother say that? There's only one explanation that satisfies me. You see for yourself. But the only reason that I can imagine why she would have said and responded to his comment, what he just said about my hour has not yet come, is that she's seen his words come to pass. She's seen things happen through him prior to his miracles beginning, prior to his baptism by John in the Jordan River. She's seen things happen in his life as a righteous human being, as a righteous human being that superseded and overcame the law of sin and death, which had passed upon everybody else. Otherwise, why, do, why tell the servants, do what he says? If anything, she'd tell the servants, well, there goes our last hope. We're going to have to make some kind of adjustments here. But she said, whatever he says to you, do it. See, folks, righteousness Jesus operating in the righteousness that was available to him because he had bypassed the law of sin and death, being born into the law of sin and death. That provided him not only the worthiness to be our sacrifice, the sinless condition to be a sacrifice for all mankind, but it provided for him power and authority over the law of sin and death in his own life, but not for anybody else. His righteousness didn't make a difference for somebody else. That was a different work of God. So here he's born into the earth as a man, born of a virgin, born as a man in righteousness, not sin and death. And then the next thing is that the Holy Ghost comes upon him when he's anointed by God, when John baptizes him in the Jordan River. You remember Acts 10, 38? Peter's preaching at Cornelius' household, first um, real event where the Gentile world is reached with the gospel. Peter explains who Jesus was and what he did. He said this. He said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. The thing that Peter preaches to the Gentiles, the thing that the Holy Ghost prompted him to teach or preach to them is that Jesus anointing with the Holy Ghost and power was the thing, the very manner or way for him to do miracles to show us God's plan and purpose on the earth. Back to Mary. 
Mary says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And there were set six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. That means they're big. Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not where it, whence it was, where it came from, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, and can't really taste what they're drinking anymore, then that which is worse comes out. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Now notice verse 11, this proves what I was telling you before. It says, This beginning of miracles, that means it's the first one. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in the Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Already had disciples. But now they're seeing a different side of whatever they had witnessed before. Now here's the point I'm trying to make. Is there any way we can read this story and not conclude that Jesus did not know ahead of time that he was going to turn water into wine? If he knew ahead of time that he was sent to this, this wedding... To glorify God and begin his miracle work. Then he wouldn't have responded to his mother the way he did. No way. That's true, isn't it? You can see that for yourself, can't you? In fact, when Jesus responds and says, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour has not yet come. That's an indication to me that he didn't think that that was the way that God wanted him to work. At least not at that present moment. But then... Maybe based on what she said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Or maybe then it was made known to him by the Holy Ghost, who he was anointed with, that God did want him to do something about this situation. Then he turns water into wine. Folks, I want you to understand something. If Jesus always knew ahead of time what was going to happen, if he always knew, then that would be part of the heavenly power and glory that he had before he was born into the earth. That would create an unfair advantage, and it would have violated Jesus' right to be the sacrifice for mankind. He had to not know. He has to operate by the prompting of the Holy Ghost just like he expects us to. Spur of the moment, perhaps. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the Holy Ghost can't show you something that's coming. He can, and sometimes he does. But in the beginning, you would have thought that the first miracle that Je I would have thought that the first miracle that Jesus performed would have been something that God would have shown him ahead of time and helped ease him into. That's not the way it worked. Jesus' response to his mother is an indication that he did not know, nor did he think that he was going to turn the water into wine. But she recognizes something. She knows something. Now, let me go back to what she knows. She, above everybody else on the earth, knows that he was born of a virgin. She knows what the angel Gabriel told her about him, that he would be the son of God. She knows. I'm sure that wasn't something she could go broadcasting about. That probably wouldn't do very, uh, serve their family relationship very well. But she knows. She knows who this guy is. And I believe, from what she said, she's seen his righteous position provide authority over the law of sin and death to benefit him personally 
and maybe his household as well. So she says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. His words matter. So how is Jesus operating in the earth? As a man who is righteous by the nature of God he was born unto, who's anointed of the Holy Ghost with power. That's the way Jesus is operating here on the earth. That's the way Jesus is doing the will of God, doing the work of the Father. There's an interesting thing. Turn with me to John chapter 5. In John chapter 17 is when Jesus is praying to the Father just before the uh, uh, Romans come and take him captive and arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And one of the things that he prays about you and me, all the body of Christ, being united with God about. He says, give them the power that I had with thee. And then he says in himself, Father, return the power that I had with you before the foundations of the world. Well, why would he pray that? Why would he mention that or make a request of that if he still had his heavenly power and glory here on the earth? It has to be true. Philippians 2 has to be true that he laid aside his heavenly power and glory. Because he refers back to it in the last, one of the last prayers, or the last prayer that we have record of him praying before he went to the cross. He said, give me back the power that I had with you before the foundations of the world. He's looking for a return. He's looking for God to regain, or he's looking for himself to regain by the will of God, something that he laid aside. Let's go back to verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Now that could mean one of two things. That could mean spiritually dead, people that are here on the earth and are alive in, in their bodies, but spiritually death Spiritually dead, meaning their spirits were separated and estranged from God. Or it could mean, and in my thinking it probably means both, it could mean what Jesus talked about or what the Bible tells us about that after Jesus was raised from the dead, after the price was paid, he went into Abraham's bosom and led captivity captive. He led all those Old Testament saints into heaven with him. Both of those are true. Both of those fit the scripture. If he was talking about one and not the other, we don't know. So he says, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. I want you to notice this is one of the five times that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. Whereas over 60 times he refers to himself as the Son of Man. For, verse 26, as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. Now notice verse 27, this is the one I want you to see. And has given him authority has given Jesus, God the Father has given Jesus authority to execute judgment also. Why? Because he's the son of God? No, because he's the son of man. Notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, the source of my authority, the origin of my authority, the reason I have authority over sin and death and sickness and disease is because I'm a man. Not because I'm the son of God, but because I'm a man. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. That's what Abraham's blessing is all about. If man could live righteously, then he could be blessed in all the things God blessed Abraham and Isaac and Jacob with. The only way you can do that is by not being born into the law of sin and death, which he wasn't. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.